Welcome to a Monday afternoon edition of Locked On Warriors. I'm Wes Goldberg, Warriors beat writer for the Mercury News. Make sure to follow Locked On Warriors on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get podcasts for episodes every day, Monday through Friday. This episode was recorded live on Locker Room, so I'll start the show talking about Steph Curry's MVP chances and then take some calls and get into some bigger picture stuff with the Warriors, the MVP race, and how they can build for next season. Today's show is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. You are Locked On Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's a Monday edition of Locked On Warriors, everybody. I'm Wes Goldberg, Warriors writer for the Mercury News, Irving Magic Johnson best follow on Twitter tweeted over the weekend it's hard to deny Steph Curry from being the NBA's MVP he is the number one number two and number three option for the Warriors and is still dominating so in response to that of course we got some magic from not magic but first take David A is Steph the greatest offensive weapon in the NBA I believe he is I believe he is um, he doesn't have a post game, obviously. He doesn't have a post game. Okay. Thanks, Stephen A. He is the greatest shooter God has ever created. Plain and simple. This year, without Klay Thompson, with him being the focal point because they don't really have anybody else to depend on offensively. I'm talking about to depend on. I'm not talking about a specific night Andrew Wiggins will drop a few points or Kelly Oubre or somebody. No, no. I'm talking about consistently. He is your offensive weapon. He is averaging 30 on 49% shooting from the field and 42.7% from three-point range, hitting 92.2% of his free throws. This dude is a sniper extraordinaire. I just want to say I really appreciate Stephen A. coming in with the heavy-hitting analysis of just reading his basketball reference page. The greatest sniper in the history of basketball. And when you consider that he can shoot from anywhere on the floor, left, right, or the top, you know, wing, you know, or the key, 20, 30. You know, the key, the left, the right. Sounds like Stephen A. was just introduced to what a basketball court looks like. 40 feet away from the basket Ooh, with awesome. regularity. There's nothing to talk about. When you consider what he brings to the table on that level and the efficiency with which he's doing it and the fact that he's doing it this year, Without Clay Thompson, I just can't say enough that this dude, you can't foul him. You can't foul him. And when you go out there to, to, to contest his shots, you, you know, you got to guard yourself from touching him or whatever because you know he's money from the free throw line. He is a marksman, the likes of which we have never, ever, ever seen. Stephen A. calls Steph a divine being. A marksman, a sniper extraordinaire, says he is on another level uh, and the best offensive player in the NBA. That's great. That's great. It seems to me that Stephen A was a little slow on his – I don't know if this was the first segment on the first take or what, but it felt like he was a little – he stumbled out of the gates there. The left, the right, the wing, you know, the top of the thing, you know. Good job, Stephen A. Would like to go back to Magic Johnson's Twitter account. Uh, within that same breath of tweeting, it's hard to deny Steph Curry from bringing the NBA's MVP exclamation point. He is the number one, number two, and number three option for the Warriors and still dominating. Within moments of tweeting that, during Magic Johnson tweets, since the All-Star break, Steph, Joel Embiid, and Jokic have been the leaders in the MVP race. That sounds like three other players. Magic. Good job, Magic Johnson. Always good at tweeting. Good job, Stephen A. Always good at whatever it is that you do. We're going to take some calls on Locker Room next, but first, let's talk about Indeed. You're the hiring expert for your company, and what you really need is help making your short list of quality candidates. You need a hiring partner who helps make your life easier. You need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality short list of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster, only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications, and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. 
with tools like Indeed Instant Match, giving you quality candidates whose resume on Indeed fits your job description immediately, and Indeed skills test that on average reduces hiring time by 27%. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests or add your own, then add your must-have requirements so you only pay for applications that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash locked. Get a $75 credit excuse me, at Indeed.com slash locked. Indeed.com slash locked. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Let's also talk about Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, but unlike most protein bars, it actually tastes good and it's good for you. Built Bar is great for health conscious men and women, whether you want to maintain or lose weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Built Bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. They're great if you're on a keto diet or other low carb diets. They have 18 amazing flavors, including six new flavors like caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. They have nut free options for those of you who want to avoid nuts as well. Built Bar has been with us for a long time, and I've been eating Built Bars for a long time, usually in the late afternoon between lunch and dinner. It's a good way to give, uh, to give me the boost that I need to finish up work at the end of the day. Like I said, Built Bar has been friends of the show for almost a year now, and we appreciate the partnership that we've built in that time. So support the show by supporting those who support us. So go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, use the promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. The Locked On Podcast Network is covering the NFL Draft from all angles. Catch up on the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 podcast presented by Odyssey. Follow the Locked On NFL Draft and Draft Dudes podcast for the latest draft news and stay tuned for more info about our live NFL Draft coverage. Should Steph Curry be in the MVP conversation? It's worth asking. I mean, this guy has been on a tear through the entire month of April. Uh, He is a hair behind Bradley Beal now uh, for the scoring title, for the leader in the NBA in in points per game. He's at 31 points per game. Bradley Beal is at 31.1 points per game. Uh, but But Steph has... This isn't the first time we've had this conversation. In regards to Steph, remember in February when the Warriors were a little bit on the run, they got to over 500. We were talking about Steph as a potential MVP candidate. Then the Warriors kind of they they uh, they went on a slide a little bit in the standings. Steph got hurt for a little while with the tailbone thing, and he fell out of that conversation. If you want to talk about this, request to speak here on the locker room app. More than happy uh, to listen to your thoughts and 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 have a wide ranging conversation because look. I cover the Warriors. I watch every single second of Steph Curry. I I don't know that he deserves to be in this MVP conversation. Look, Magic Johnson come out here and tweet that Steph Curry is the MVP numbers one, two, and three all day long. I'm not going to fall to being a prisoner of the moment like that because Nikola Jokic has been in the MVP conversation all season long, has never fallen out of that. Joel Embiid, despite a, an injury is still very much in the MVP conversation. I think it's a two-man race between those two. And I think before LeBron got hurt, he was basically running away with the thing. Now, we could throw other names in there, like Giannis, but I, I, I just don't see voters uh, going with him for a third straight time. Basically, just be, I understand it's a regular season award, but there is a bad taste in the voters' mouths after his you know, playoff performance last year. Uh, and I don't. And, and look, Damian Lillard should be a part of it as well, but he's not going to be uh, just because there's not that much love for Portland. And so, understanding all of that, yeah, maybe it is a little bit of an open race, but I still think it's between Jokic and Joel Embiid at the end of the day. Uh, if Steph Curry is going to get into it, and look, I hear the argument, right? I understand the the pro Steph Curry MVP race argument that. Uh, it's only because of Steph that the Warriors are in the play-in tournament, right? It's only because of Steph that the Warriors have made it this far and that Steph should not be held accountable. He should not be penalized because the rest of his supporting cast is no good, right? I, I get it. But if we're going to use that logic, shouldn't Bradley Beal be in the MVP conversation? Look at the Wizards in the Eastern Conference. They are right there. They have a chance to make the play-in tournament. 
So by the end of the year, if it looks like the Wizards are going to make the play-in tournament in the Eastern Conference, should it not, if Steph Curry is going to be part of the MVP conversation, Bradley Beal should be a part of the MVP conversation too, right? And nobody's talking about Bradley Beal, and yet he's the guy who's been leading the league in scoring all season. Where are the Wizards without Bradley Beal? Look at that supporting cast versus the Warriors. Yeah, it's Steph and a lot of other other, uh, and 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 there's a major drop off, but Beal doesn't even have his own version of Draymond Green. So if we're gonna talk about if we're gonna start this conversation around Steph, and look, no one here is saying that Steph doesn't isn't one of the more valuable players in the league. I understand that, but what the conversation we're really having is. Does he deserve to be in the conversation right now for winning this year's MVP? And you look back, and just nobody wins it with his kind of record. If it wasn't for the play-in tournament, the Warriors win it would be barely a playoff team. We don't know if they would make the playoffs. Tell me an MVP that played for a non-playoff team. I'm not disputing the fact that Steph is valuable. I just don't think that he has a realistic claim to winning MVP this year. And I don't think any reasonable person thinks he is. I don't know if this is a talking point that just the talking heads are doing, the guys on ESPN and wherever, if this is just a first take thing. I don't know. But in my Twitter mentions, I get people saying that Steph should be MVP. I bring this up. I have that argument. Hey, he shouldn't be penalized because of his teammates. Jake, what do you think? So I was kind of on board with Jokic being the MVP, but when I watched the Warriors-Nuggets game, it still reminded me, it feels like there's a substantial gap, not substantial, but there's definitely a gap between Steph and Jokic, in my opinion. And I don't think the Nuggets, I'd, I'd rather see a big jump in the standings. It kind of feels like they are where they were last year, and they've been fully healthy until Murray went down. But up until that point, they were the four seed. So I'm having a tough time committing myself to that if Curry can't even be in the conversation. So I'd say as of now, I'd go with Embiid, but I think Curry deserves a little more of a push. Yeah. I, I, I agree with the Joel Embiid thing. I, I, I'm not going to hold that injury against him. And the 76ers, we can talk about the Nuggets. They're the fourth best team in the Western Conference. Jokic, the numbers that he's putting up are incredible. And if you look at the advanced metrics and stuff on him, it's off the charts, right? And I'm not going to bore people with those numbers, but it's it's crazy. Uh, with Embiid, it's similar. It's not as crazy off the charts as Jokic is, but the Sixers have the best record in the East, and they could end up, you know, with with the number the, the number one seed in the East over the Brooklyn Nets. If that's the case, I really think we should consider Joel Embiid also because of what he brings to the defensive. Side. There's an argument to be made that Embiid is the defensive player of the year. Ben Simmons is arguing that he's the best defensive player on the team, but still, you can make the argument that it's Embiid. So I'm with you, Jake. I think that we really should. And, and by the way, now that Joel Embiid's healthy. He's, if he gains some steam in these next 15 or so games, yeah, there's going to be a real conversation. That's why I think it's a two-man race between him and, and, and I'm sorry, and, and Jokic. But I st I'm starting to, I, w I was kind of the flip, the inverse of you where I was a little down on Jokic because, you know, you watch the games. He doesn't dominate the way that you typically associate a player dominating. But it's just every time he gets the ball, it feels like the Nuggets are getting a decent shot. Uh you look at this, the, the, the box score stats. No, he's not scoring like Beal and Steph and, and James Harden and those guys, but he just fills it up. He's getting a bunch of steals too, so he's, he's starting to figure out ways that he can be impactful on defense. Um, I, I, I like. There's also the, 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 the feel-good story behind Denver. So I understand why there's a narrative that's pushing him. There's, he's also deserving of it as much as anybody else is, but I still think it's going to be between him and Embiid because I just don't think that a guy like Steph, given his team's record... Um, and given the fact, like, the last time we saw Steph win MVPs, the Warriors were the best team in the league, right? Like, we're going to, and, and so fairly or unfairly, it's the same thing with Giannis, right? You kind of get held to that standard where Giannis is putting up numbers as, as great as he ever has, but we're not really talking about him as far as MVP because we're now we're like, hey, we got to see more from you, Giannis. Uh, and I feel like with Steph, it's, all right, great, you're putting up these great numbers, but... Where, where are the wins? You know, how are you? You got to be a playoff team because the last time you won MVP, you guys were the best team in the league. So I, I just, I don't see him making a real run here despite the great numbers. So um, anybody else that we should be talking about as far as, uh, as, as far as potential MVP candidates or do we all think it's a, it's a two-man race? Jake, Drev, what do we think? 
I mean, I think it is a two-man race. I put it in the chat. I do think, though, that, like, Curry deserves some love as, like, maybe a third guy. I honestly don't think this is a valid thing for for us to talk about with Curry because I feel like he's transcended this discussion, and it's more of, like, yeah, his team isn't winning. We shouldn't talk about MVP, but is he, like, the best player in the league, including LeBron at this point? Let's have that conversation. Like- that's a more worthy convo than MVP because he's he's a ten seed. He's not winning. Yeah, I I agree. Like it's almost it's a moot point at this point, right? Where we could argue about whether or not he's valuable or not. He's obviously valuable, but he's just history. He's not going to win this thing. But where does he rank now, as far as the top guards in the league? Let's start there, and then maybe we can expand the conversation and include the other positions. But as far as the top guards in the league, we have Steph. We're thinking James Harden. Uh, people are going to put Damian Lillard up there. Kyrie Irving, you know, some people who buy his shoes will put him up there. Uh, who am I missing? Luka Doncic, I suppose, counts as a guard these days. Ben Simmons counts as a guard, but he's not really part of those. He's not of that caliber. I think Steph, it's, it's pretty clear that he's the best guard in the NBA right now. Yeah, I think he's in a different tier than every other guard. Like, in my opinion, NBA players, there's three guys. This isn't just guards, but it's like there's LeBron, KD, Steph, and then there's the other elite players. But those three guys are their own tier. And amongst guards, Steph is the only guy who's in that tier. So I think he's just a different level than everyone else. I have a pretty I have a pretty clear top seven where it's in whatever order. Steph, LeBron, Giannis, Durant, Harden, Jokic, Embiid. Oh, I'm forgetting Kawhi. That's my top eight. And, and I, I don't understand. Who? Sorry. Go ahead. I don't understand the... Dame and Luca being ahead of Steph because they're only a couple games ahead of them, and what I mean, they have their full team pretty much. I just don't understand why. Yeah, Dame's supporting cast has been very underrated for the past few years. Like CJ McCollum is a really, really good player. Damian Lillard's get a- another level though, and and I understand why people want to have them in 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 that conversation because they're one of the they've been one of the more consistent teams all year long. I don't have a problem with Damian. Lillard being in there. I really don't have that much of a problem with Luka being in there because those are bona fide playoff teams, right? And that's really, that's kind of the line of demarcation, right? Historically speaking, if you're a playoff team, all right, cool. When we're, when we're, we're having this MVP conversation, let's take the playoff teams, the 16 playoff teams. Now, who are the best players on those teams who are most accountable for those teams winning? And then you kind of group those players together and then you start to sort them and filter them by MVP chances or whatever and and i do think that look we're having damian lillard and luka Doncic kind of just thrown in there as guys four five six seven but nobody's really talking about them winning the mvp right so i I, that's kind of where i go is with this conversation is okay let's have a real conversation about who can win it and then we could start and look i think there's value like you can go back into basketball reference and find the top five and ten winners in the mvp race and that's cool like a top five finish in an NBA player's career, when you're trying, when you're starting to make Hall of Fame cases and stuff, that stuff matters, and I think that it's a worthwhile conversation to have. But in the moment, I just feel like uh, when we talk about should this player be in the conversation, should Steph be in the conversation, the conversation I want to have is can he actually win it, and if he can't, then let's just move on. And with Damian Lillard and Luka Doncic, they'll finish top five, six, seven, somewhere in there, but they're not really in conversations to win the thing. I haven't heard that. With uh, with Dame, I feel like his entire MVP case at this point is just being dragged along by Max Kellerman, who, like, <laughs> every time he's on that show, like, they've been talking about Steph lately, and it's like, oh, but Damian Lillard's team wins more, therefore he's better. And like I said it earlier, Dame's supporting cast, very underrated, a lot of good players on that Portland team. I don't think he really has an MVP argument anymore. His team is, like, what, the sixth seed? They... Like, he doesn't have more of a case than Jokic does. Jokic's team is better. And his averages have started to go down ever since CJ came back. So, I don't know. I think you have to be a real title contender. I, I and, and so I agree with you. This is why I never liked the Russell Westbrook guy when, when he won the MVP. I thought it should have been Kawhi that year. Because, yeah, Russell Westbrook put the triple-double together. But who cares? Like, am I really going to give you that much more credit because you averaged one more rebound per game? No, I don't, I don't care that much. Uh, but... The and, and the Thunder were nobody was picking them to go to the finals that year. You know they just lost KD, all that stuff. So we had the narrative pushing. But uh, I want to talk about real title contenders, and I don't think Portland or Dallas uh, 
are real title contenders. I mean, when we think about the title contenders, who are we talking about? We were talking about the Nuggets uh, before the Jamal Murray injury, and, and I'm, I'm still not completely... They're probably they're not going to win the championship without Jamal Murray, but I'm not. They're not a real title but, contender. But I'm not. Though. But if they make, but they can make the Western Conference Finals, right? I'm not ready to rule them out of that. So I guess at that point, you kind of have to. Jokic could still be in the race, right? Like that, and and he's been so good that he could still be in the race. But you know, the Lakers guys have been injured too long. The Clippers guys only play when they feel like it, so I'm not counting them. Uh, you know, and so then you go in the West. All right, Utah. Should we be talking about Donovan Mitchell more? There has been a little bit of a push for him. Um, you've got Damian Lillard, but I don't think that the, the Trailblazers are a real contender. And then, of course, you've got Denver, and you've got Phoenix with Chris Paul. Remember, we're only a couple weeks removed from him. Oh, should he be in the MVP conversation discussion? Uh, and then you look in the East, and, of course, you've got Joel Embiid. And then the Nets guys have barely played this year. And then you can look at Milwaukee and Giannis, but, again, he's not getting— I know it's a regular season award, but nobody cares that it's a regular season award based on what he did in the postseason last year. It's a wait-and-see thing with Giannis for now on and his legacy— and then after that, I don't know. I don't know who else you th- you would talk about in the Eastern Conference. I'm looking at the standings now. I mean, it, it feels like it's Embiid if it's if it's an Eastern Conference player. Harden's not getting it at this point. I'll be right back. But first, let's talk about Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. The NBA is making the playoff push, and the NHL season and Major League Baseball are in full swing. Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props on almost everything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the promo code Locked On. Again, head to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, but only when you use the promo code Locked On. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Today through the 26th, listen to the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 presented by Locked On and Odyssey, featuring analysis from NFL experts Michael Irving, Jason LaConfora, and Brian Baldinger, our local experts for every team making trades and picking the next stars of their team. Search the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 on the new Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Odyssey is your audio home for all the sports, podcasts, music, and news that matter to you. That's Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y. I think if there wasn't the voter fatigue narrative, I think Giannis would probably get his third MVP this year. Like, he has the wins. He has the production. And people don't talk about it, but he's improved a good amount from last year. Yeah. Here's the thing with Giannis, and I, and I don't disagree with you that it's a narrative thing. It absolutely is a narrative thing. If you just looked at the raw box score stats and even just like the advanced metrics and everything that that comes with Giannis he should be it should be a three-man race between him Jokic and Embiid and there's no question about that however I'll say this I may end up having an MVP vote this year they they kind of wait and tell us the beat writers who kind of gets each award at the end of this uh, each uh, who gets to vote for what at the end of the season so we're still waiting to see how that shakes out but if I do I'm telling you right now, I am not considering Giannis. And I again, I understand it's a regular season award and that we shouldn't put any weight into what happened last year or certainly what happened in the playoffs last year. But I do, right? Like I just I I don't feel comfortable letting or giving this guy a third straight MVP award when he has repeatedly failed in the playoffs. I mean, last year was undisputed a, a disappointment in the in the playoffs for him. I just, I don't know. I just, maybe that makes me wrong. I don't really care. I just, I, I don't feel good. You know, at the end of the day, in my gut, I wouldn't feel good having Giannis w- winning a third straight MVP. And uh, and probably not, I still haven't seen enough from the Bucks this year to think that they're going to come out of the East. I still think it's Philadelphia, Brooklyn over them. I'm not saying they won't or can't. I just still feel better about Brooklyn or Philadelphia. If, if I had to lay money down, I'd feel better about those two teams. I don't know, man. I just, I, I and I, I'm not the only voter who thinks that. Potential voter, at least, who thinks that. I, I think the Giannis playoff struggles are overblown. I mean, the only defense that like has actually slowed him down is defense where they throw four bodies at him and say, "Chris Middleton beat us." True Holiday, or not True Holiday, Eric Bledsoe beat us, and his teammates haven't. I, I don't know how much I know. Like he lost, yeah, obviously, and he was playing like the best player in the world the regular season. And he didn't look like it in the playoffs, but I don't think it's all on Giannis. It's not all on Giannis. Of course not. It's a lot of it's on Mike Budenholzer. I was surprised that he kept his job. A lot of people were after the after the postseason last year. I think they should go to Chris Middleton more in crunch time. You know, I think there's a, there's a case to be made. I just 
you know, when we're talking about these sort of things, though, and you're splitting hairs, if if it's a three-man race between Embiid, Jokic, and Giannis, I just feel better about giving it to one of those guys over Giannis based on where we're at and based on the fact that, look, Giannis won two straight and didn't change anything. You know, people still want to see him kind of break through in the playoffs. However it happens, you can blame Giannis, you can blame Budenholzer. The, the truth is it all go, the blame goes around a lot, but I watched that. You know, you watched that 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 playoff series between then the the Bucks and the Heat. Jimmy Butler was a better player than Giannis. You know, it just, you had more confidence in Jimmy Butler. Bam Adebayo looked like a better player than Giannis for a large portion of that game. Hell, the first couple of games of that series, Jay Crowder looked like a better player than Giannis. I'm exaggerating now, but it was there. <laughs> it's undeniable the fact that Giannis has severe limitations in his game with the lack of the mid-range shot and obviously no three-point shot and he can't make free throws and all these things. I mean, it gets to a point where you're splitting hairs and when you're starting to split hairs, Joel Embiid has been just as valuable for his team as Giannis has been for the Bucks. Nikola Jokic has been arguably more valuable than any of those players for the Nuggets. Um, and so you kind of get to the point where, again, Giannis should be, there should be a three-person conversation. I am recognizing that. But just how the voters are going to vote at the end of the day, it's going to end up being, okay, what do I feel like in my gut? What do I feel good about? Maybe that's narrative-driven, but it's going to be a two-man race barring anything crazy happening between Jokic and Giannis, probably. Or, or I'm sorry, Jokic and uh, Embiid, probably. That's just, that's just my, my, feel, my feel for what's going on. But then let me ask you this. If you're valuing Giannis' playoff failure last season, why aren't you talking about Embiid's playoff? Because he got swept last year. He did not have a good showing, like, at all. Mm-hmm. It's a good point. Giannis won the MVP. Embiid didn't. And it and and I'll also say this. Embiid has had a breakthrough this year. Like statistically, he's better. And he's all around he's better. And his team is better. You can't say that from Milwaukee, right? Giannis, statistically, you can point to some things where he's better. Statistically, there's things that you can point to that he's not better, right? He's basically playing the same. The Bucks are basically playing the same, if not worse, because they're not dominant, right? They're not running away with the one seed. Uh, they just look the same. That's it. And, and that's so much of what com- goes into an MVP conversation. I mean, look at the year Steph won it for the first time. There was a substantial leap between Steph in 2014 to Steph in 2015. And, and, and he was able to, to win the award. And then he was able to repeat because the Warriors were insane. Uh, and, and he deserved it. He, he was even somehow better than he was the first MVP award. And he was incredible the first time. So, but there was, a, there was an improvement. I think it went from like 25 or 26 points per game to 30 points per game in that second year. Giannis and the Bucks are basically just doing the same thing. Where Philadelphia, there's been a noticeable breakthrough. With Denver, there's been a noticeable breakthrough between last regular season and this regular season. Uh, again, until the Jamal Murray injury. So uh, that is that is so much of this conversation. You know, you look back to when Russell Westbrook won it. It was a narrative-driven win, right? It was, hey, he's putting up a triple-double without Kevin Durant. Look at what he's doing for the Thunder. Uh, you know, you have to have that that kind of improvement in order, like Giannis, the second time he won it, there was an improvement. You could see it between his team and between his statistics. There was a market improvement between the first time he won it and the second time he won it. You just have to have that, historically. I'm not saying you have to have it in perpetuity. I'm just looking at people who have won it and been in the conversation in the past. You kind of see those, those, those mile markers. It's fair. The only, the only counter I'd have to that is that was Joel Embiid really make, did Joel Embiid really make that much of an improvement? Or was it really just a rebound from the season before? Because if you look at his 2018 year, I mean, he was averaging... Oh, it wasn't as good as this year, obviously. This year's MVP. But he was averaging 27, 11, and, um, and 4. Like, those are very good stats. And then he had a down year last year. So I'd argue, did he really make that significant improvement? I mean, from three-point range, he definitely did. And then I know that his assist numbers are basically the same over the last three or four years. But when you watch the 76ers games, he is doing so much more out of the post for them and creating so much more out of the post for them. And he has become just sort of this fulcrum of the offense where just everything runs so much better. So there's definitely a part of that. It's not just the stats, right? There's, he, he definitely has turned a corner uh, as far as a maturity of the game type of thing. His feel, his basketball. To me, it feels game. like – to me, it feels like he's just, get, like, he's just getting the ball in the post more. Like – He's already been this good. I see that. I think it's a little bit of a hot three-point shooting year, but we knew he was a good three-point shooter on limited attempts. He's become a better passer out of the double teams, 
but it's not even that big of a jump. I think it's noticeable just because of how bad he was before. I kind of side with Ryan on the side of like, I don't think Embiid really improved that much. I still think he's the MVP. I just don't think he improved as a player all that much. Well, you know, again, I'm watching the games. I, I, it, he just feels like he's in more control. Maybe it is them just getting the, getting the ball in the post more, but he is, he's moving the ball so much quicker in those double teams. Like the double teams have always been there with Embiid, but he just, he's, he's making the right pass now. He's seeing the game, you know, one step ahead. Uh, it does feel like it's better, but you know you got to give credit to Doc Rivers who showed up this year, right? And this is a better offense overall. And Daryl Morey. I was gonna credit. say I think that with sure. post players, and we saw with Wiseman, like getting them the ball in their spaces, like their right spots, is a very big thing yeah. for these bigs. And I think with Wiseman, it's going to be an issue. But Doc Rivers found the way to do it this year with Embiid, and he's getting it in his spots, and that's why he's able to be better. Well, Embiid. Embiid, now every spot is almost Embiid's spot. I understand your point, right? You really want to get it to him in the post. I mean, that stat goes around all the time that the best offense in the league is basically a Joel Embiid's post up at this point. But, um, you know, he's hitting fadeaway, step back mid-range shots, step back threes. I mean, like, I understand we've seen this stuff in the past from Embiid, but we haven't seen it at the rate that we're seeing it at now. And again, a lot of it is narrative. The Sixers are better, right? Seth Curry, Danny Green, that they, they're helping that team. Give credit to Daryl Morey. It was a good point. Like, the Sixers are better, but that's all part of it, right? And and regard, we could discuss whether or not that's that should be the case or not, but it just it, it simply is, you know. And the Sixers are better, the Bucks are not. The Nuggets have been better this year for the, until the Jamal Murray injury. The Bucks have just sort of remained the same. They're old news, and and that's why I think ultimately it's just going to be those two guys. Is there somebody who we shouldn't be talking about? I I feel like we should be talking about Chris Paul more. But he just doesn't have the raw stats. But he's one of these guys who you can't really measure with raw stats. I would still put him in that conversation a little bit. But I, I don't know if it's enough because the raw stats of Embiid and, and, and Jokic are just so much so that it's really hard to put Chris Paul in that kind of conversation. Chris Paul. And I'm not of the ilk of the people who thinks he should be in the conversation because I still think, like, he's an impactful player. He's an incredibly impactful player. There's still a debate. I think there still is a debate as to even if he's even the best player on his own team. Like, I think Devin Booker has been amazing this year. Yeah. And I think it's more than just Chris Paul. It's guys rounding into form. Guys on that team took a long time to learn their coach's system. And, you know, we've seen Mikael Bridges be amazing this year. DeAndre Ayton's improved a little, especially defensively. I think Chris Paul is getting a little bit more of the uh, credit for this, and some of the other guys and role players on the team yeah. also deserve their, Chris, uh, their Chris, credit. Chris Paul's getting some Oklahoma City, lingering Oklahoma City credit too, right? Because he, he willed that team, pushed that team into the playoffs last year. So he's getting yeah, he's getting some of that. I was going to say, like, even there, as if you're talking to me about Chris Paul, the locker room guy, yes, he's an MVP candidate. But Chris Paul, the player on the court, situationally he's incredibly valuable but like that oklahoma city team had a lot of very good players like a lot of very very good players none of them really all-stars except for him but a lot of near all-star guys if you want to talk about shea danilo gallinari dennis schroeder those guys were all near all-star level players last year i think ryan brings up a good point here i think if steph gets an mvp it's going to be next season which kind of goes to what we were just talking about with devin booker too there's an argument to made that he's the best player on Phoenix. To me, the Suns broke through this year, captured national attention, media attention specifically, and if everything keeps clicking the way it is, they're going to be right there next year. There's no reason to think that they wouldn't, right? Because you're going to have Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, all these guys. They're only going to get better. I think Devin Booker will be and and probably will be in the MVP conversation next year if the Suns keep moving the way we think and and you know tracking the way that we think they're going to track. Steph, to Ryan's point, probably better chance next year when Clay Thompson comes back. James Wiseman has another year under his belt, sort of, kind of, you know, with all this rehab stuff. Um, and, and presumably the Warriors make some improvements to the rest of the rotation and all this stuff. What do we think the MVP conversation looks like next season? Because, again, I, I, I believe that it's going to be Embiid or Jokic this year. and We can sort of move past it. Uh, Giannis, Embiid, Jokic, all these guys perennially in that conversation will be in that conversation. James Harden will be a year removed from that weird exit out of Houston. He'll, and Kevin Durant could be healthier 
you know, two years removed from the or three years, I guess, removed from the Achilles you know, injury. I don't think any of those Brooklyn guys should get consideration because in Golden State, when KD was there, neither KD nor Steph were going to get serious consideration because rightfully it's a super team. I don't think either Harden or KD should get serious votes. I like this year they were injured, but if next year they're healthy, not neither of them should be top three, probably not even top five candidates. Yeah, you're well. Look, and historically, you see the way that those kind those guys win, players on super teams. The way that they win MVP is if Kevin Durant goes down for a month and James Harden carries them, and and then that's and then you know he's done enough at that point. You're right though; those guys don't usually win. In the case of the Warriors. Yeah, there was a lot of backlash, right? You And you always see this with a super team where um, they win 73 games, Steph wins unanimous MVP, Kevin Durant gets added to the mix, and everybody's like, all right, cool. You've gotten your individual accolades. You wanted to be a super team. Boom, go for it. Durant was already an MVP. Steph was a two-time MVP when all that came together. With the Heat in, 20, in 2010, LeBron should have won MVP that year, you could have argued, uh, that first year, but they gave it to Derrick Rose instead. Because why? Well, he was a singular superstar, on those Chicago Bulls teams. But looking back, that's one of the LeBron MVPs that got away. You know, when you kind of look back on his career and you're like, why doesn't he have more than he already has? So um, you're, you're probably right in Brooklyn. None of them, if, if everything's, he- if, they, if they're all healthy, but they're, the way for one of those guys to win it is if another one goes down. I don't, look, Kyrie Irving's never going to win an MVP. It's going to be between Harden and Durant. Those are the two best players. And I think it's pretty, I think it's arguable. I don't really know which one is better at this point, given, uh, Durant's health at this uh, at this stage of his career, but um, outside of that, yeah, LeBron, Anthony Davis, either of them could still be in that conversation if they're healthy. Uh, Luka Doncic, Damian Lillard, they're still going to be part of that conversation because they always are. It's we're in an interesting point, and look, depending on what happens with Kawhi next year, we're in, an in th- these MVP races. I don't think are going to kind of be any less crowded. That said. If the Warriors go back to the finals, or not back to the finals, but back to the playoffs, and are considered finals contenders or something close to that next year, Steph Curry will absolutely be a part of that conversation, which goes back to what we were talking about before. Where does he rank among the top players in the NBA? Because if we believe that he's the best guard, then we're going to start giving him more real consideration than the consideration we currently give guys like Damian Lillard and Luka Doncic, because we understand that Steph belongs in that upper crust of that NBA elite, right? And so I think Steph, as much right. as anybody, has a chance to... to. And if I could bet on futures right now, I would put some money on Steph winning the MVP next year because I think there's going to be a, a lot of serious backing for him. You'll have the narrative, too. Like, like it's like... I don't want to call it the last dance, but it's kind of like the last dance. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> can the Warriors do it one more time? He'll have that narrative. That's a good point, and I think it's going to look different too. Because if if Steve Kerr does end up going into some more isolation pick and roll stuff, putting James Wiseman, like we were talking about earlier, in in better positions, which would include a lot more pick and roll stuff, um, then then it's going to look different. It's going to look the way where a lot of the backlash with Steph has been. He affects the game in a way that we're not accustomed to seeing, right? Because of all the off ball stuff. Um, but if he's on the ball a lot more. Then he's going to be doing it in a way that we are accustomed to to MVP players doing it, uh, even though Steph has won it twice. But it, you know what I mean. Like traditionally, he's going to be yeah. doing it that way, and and there's that's going to help his narrative. Harden ball stuff. I think we can see something <laughs> close to it. Look, I don't know that we'll see James Harden like like I don't think we'll see Steph play the way that Harden played in Houston. But if you could have Steph play the way that Harden's playing in Brooklyn. There is a little bit more ball movement, right? Like Steve Nash has introduced yeah. more of that Steve Kerr stuff that he learned under Steve Kerr, even though Mike D'Antoni is on staff. Mike D'Antoni, to me, is just the Harden whisperer. Like, that that offense looks like Steve Kerr's offense. Or, I'm sorry, Steve Nash's offense, which I guess looks a little bit like Steve Kerr's offense, uh, more than it does Mike D'Antoni's offense. And so and Harden is thriving. You could and, and, by the way, Steph Curry is an underrated passer. Let's go see more of that in his game. We know all the off-ball stuff. We have seen that chapter of Steph Curry. Everybody here appreciates that part of Steph Curry's game. I, I hesitate to say that I'm bored of it because I'm not because he's been wildly entertaining even in that sort of role. But I'm ready. I'm like I am here for put Steph on the ball and let's start to appreciate these other things about his game that maybe a lot Sorry. of people don't with the isolation stuff, the getting to the basket, the using his body more now that he's more physical, and the passing that quite frankly we understand is good but don't get to see all that often. Like I want to see more the left hand pass to the opposite corner versus like the Clippers. You know what I mean? Like yeah. 
the crazy stuff that he can do, we just don't get to see it because Steve Kerr uses him like JJ Reddick. <laughs> Harsh, but uh, what's what? What are the most amount of uh, assists Steph Curry has ever? Uh, eight. I think it was under Mark Jackson too. It was. I think it was eight the year before Steve Steve Kerr took over. Eight point five the year. Yeah, the year before Steve Kerr took over, and it was seven point seven after that, and then it's basically declined every year after that. Um, absent of uh, until this year, where it kind of started to peak. Up, it's starting to peak more towards six. Uh, I would love. I, I think Steph can realistically look. You'll be taking the ball out of Draymond Green's hands in order to make Draymond Green effective. You need to have him on the ball in passing because he can't do anything else offensively. But if if Steph comes out and averages again eight or nine assists a game, I don't. I, I if, he, if he averages ten assists per game and averages twenty six plus points per game, he'll win MVP next year as long as the as long as the Warriors are a playoff team. Uh, I just I don't think that he'll get to like ten assists per game the way that you see like James Harden getting to. But uh, because you need Draymond to have the ball in his hands. Um, but he can get to eight. He can get to nine, I think, if it's just him and Draymond basically running the offense. Because you're not – in like in the past where you shared playmaking responsibilities with Andre Guadal and Sean Livingston and whatever center was in the game kind of facilitating from the low block. No, you're not doing any of that more. Like James Wiseman's not a passing center. He probably will never be a good passing center. At the, I, he just doesn't have that feel of his game. Fine. You have Steph, who's an incredible passer. You have Draymond Green, who's a genius passer. Just let them do it. They could both average 10 assists per game, for all we care. It's not like you're taking the ball at Andrew Wiggins' hands and losing something from a playmaking standpoint. Yeah. that I, I was thinking about this point earlier. The Steph, like, off-ball stuff works so well is because it makes other people, like, it, it, um, I can't think of the word. It helps like show, showcase their talent. You know what I mean? Like, right. if Andre Iguodala played with a James Harden, he's sitting in a corner shooting thirty three percent from three. But since he's playing with a Steph Curry, he can show that pass. He can show those on ball traits. Same thing with Sean Livingston. Same thing with Draymond. Same thing with these players. Both of us on this roster. You know what I mean? We have Kelly Oubre and Andrew Wiggins who don't have those playmaking abilities. Right. So Steph should play on ball more. At least in my opinion. Take that responsibility off of them. Let Steph and Draymond handle it, and all of a sudden you'll see Wiggins, and if Kelly Oubre sticks around, you'll see their games uh, elevate. And by the way, we have. That's why the Warriors have been playing so well. What team should the Warriors be rooting against come playoff time? What team is like one more flame out of way for their star to become available? Something like that. I think as good as Utah has been this year, and it feels like Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert have, have kind of sorted out their thing. If... If they flame out in the first round and Rudy Gobert doesn't look great, does Utah decide to make some changes there? Um, that would be interesting if Rudy Gobert became available as far as a trade piece and if they try to rebuild or something. like there's A, tr- a trade would make sense potentially centered around James Wiseman, who's more, I guess, theoretically in line with Donovan Mitchell's timetable. Um, uh, the Clippers, I think a lot of play- people would point to them hey, if they're not happy, does Kawhi Leonard or Paul George try to leave? Paul George signed the extension, but you know they can always trade him because Paul George gets traded all the time. Or Kawhi, uh, would he decide to leave? But it's just it's nearly impossible for the Warriors to get their hands on Kawhi from a salary cap perspective. So I don't even think like if he left, it would just be going to somewhere else. I don't think it would be going to Golden State. Um, other than that, I don't know. I just th- Like Portland, let's say they collapse. Does Damian Lillard look around and say, the hell with it, I don't want to do it anymore? Well, maybe, but the Warriors aren't going to get Damian Lillard, and you could argue that maybe they shouldn't, given you know the the defensive shortcomings. Even though I would say just go out and score 120 points per game, what's the difference? Um, and then you look at the East. I I think the, the the vibes in Philadelphia are such that even if they did collapse in the playoffs, they would still hold on to Ben Simmons and and Joel Embiid. But again, anything can happen. Uh, Milwaukee is pretty much locked in. Boston, you know. Their problem is depth, not necessarily their top guys. I don't really see like that's my thing too. Is who's the team? Like who's the superstar that's ready to shake loose? If you just if if you just uh, imagine worst case scenarios for all these teams, right? Like I don't know who it is. I really don't. Like other than Bradley Beal, I just I don't know who the guy is who's going to shake loose. Maybe Toronto decides to to get rid of Pascal Siakam, but he's not really a superstar. So I I, I don't know who the guy is. How do you feel about Malcolm Brogdon, and what would you give up for him? I think Malcolm Brogdon would be an, a really good fit for the Warriors. He's 
he would very much reprise that kind of Andre Iguodala type role where he's a defensive stopper playmaker, but he's a better scorer than Iguodala was at the point uh, when Iguodala ended up in Golden State. So I think it would be a great fit. I don't, I wouldn't be giving up a, I wouldn't give up the Minnesota pick for him. Uh, I think that's too valuable. If I'm the, if you're the Warriors and your pick ends up in the lottery, I would, I would, if it's like a, even if it's high as number eight, I would consider moving that pick for Brogdon. If it's the Minnesota pick and it ends up at four or five or unprotected next year, I wouldn't move that for Brogdon. The other thing too is if you traded for Brogdon, you know, could you do a sign and trade with Kelly Oubre or could you just move Andrew Wiggins' contract? Maybe, and then you bring in Brogdon. I guess you would bring Brogdon off the bench and then either re-sign Oubre or you still have Wiggins. You would have to get some salaries together, but I wouldn't move Wiseman for Brogdon. I wouldn't move the Minnesota pick in either way, uh, in whatever way it conveys for Brogdon, but I would move the Warriors' own lottery pick if it falls into the lottery for Brogdon if the Pacers were willing to take it. That's another big question, though. Like, if you're the Pacers, would you take Andrew Wiggins in a lottery pick for Brogdon? I'm not saying that they wouldn't. I just don't know that they would. I don't know. Like, they, they seem to like Malcolm Brogdon, even though they did kind of make him available a little bit. Um, I don't know that they are, like, stoked to take on Andrew Wiggins' contract or Kelly Oubre at $20 million a year or whatever it would be. You know what I mean? Um, so, you know, if, it would be a phone call I would make if I were Bob Myers. I just don't really know that the Warriors have what the, the Pacers would be looking for because they're also not really a team that values draft picks all that much. Even if you could say, "Hey, we'll give you the ninth pick in the draft," that sounds like a like, that sounds like a winner to a lot of people from Malcolm Brogdon. But I don't know how how interested the Pacers are in taking a step back that way, even for some, even for a top ten, uh, top ten pick. I don't know if they're interested in that. Gus, just yesterday we had like a pretty long conversation on exactly what the Warriors are going to do this offseason. and we sort of came to the result that they can't get a superstar or any like even maybe All Star caliber player. Their best options were DeMar DeRozan, but they would have to move um, Andrew Wiggins for that, and OG Ananobi. And if they want OG Ananobi, their best bet would be that the Raptors get unlucky and then they get the Timberwolves pick, because then they could do uh, OG Ananobi, the Raptors pick, and then the Timberwolves pick, and um, Andrew Wiggins, I think. Mm -hmm. That was our discussion for OG. And then they would trade down, obviously, and get that pick, and then they would draft like a wing like Scotty Barnes. Or uh, I forget that one point guard. Um, yeah. Well, I don't think that that's a bad option. And when you talk about what the Warriors could do with these picks, a lot of that conversation is, hey, could you trade the Minnesota pick for that player? Well, what if you kind of did a tweener version of that, right, where you traded the Minnesota pick down, or even your own lottery pick if you're the Warriors. We'll see how the rest of the season shakes out. If, but if you trade down and you're able to get another player and a pick. I mean, we, we were talking about that in regards to this number two pick. Should the Warriors trade down with Chicago for their pick and Wendell Carter Jr. or whatever it was? That was a big conversation. So I think that's part of it. And I think whatever, however, look, I don't think the superstar is coming available anytime soon. I do think that they're, the, if you look at the guys who, worst case scenario, Bradley Beal, Damian Lillard, Kawhi Leonard, those are sort of the three names I'm looking at. And I would still hedge and say they all just stay where they're at. Uh, at least for that, uh, the near Beal term. Field would be awesome. I don't think that Beal field would be amazing. Like, I think they they should like just roll out their lineup. Uh, what their lineup next year is going to be is uh, Steph. Clay's going to be playing limited minutes at the start of the season, but eventually Clay. Um, and then they got that wing spot that they could fill up, and then Draymond and Wiseman. And I think that wing spot, one guy we were talking about was uh, Jonathan Kuminga. But yeah, if they get the Timberwolves pick. Yeah, I would. I if I like Kaminga's potential, I think he's. I think there is no ceiling on him, but he's very raw, and I would really hesitate if I were the Warriors on taking him. If I'm the Warriors, it's a three-player race. It's a three-player draft for me if I'm the Warriors in regards to that Minnesota pick. If I can get my hands on Cade Cunningham somehow, uh, Jalen Suggs or Jalen Green, I would do that because I think all those guys, to varying degrees, but most certainly could help you right away. Where a guy like Jonathan Kaminga, it's going to be a minute, I think, before he can really help. And we saw with Wiseman this year, you don't want to have two of those guys now going into next year. If you want to be a title team, I mean, like a real title contender, you can't really have in your rotation two of those guys. And then Evan Mobley, I think, he, you know, he's probably going to end up going number two in this draft. I don't think the Warriors are in any rush to go get Evan Mobley, considering how much redundancy they already have in the front court, uh, and that, and given that Draymond yeah. Green and Wiseman are going to be starting there. So, uh, I, I, but look. I think you're right, though. Like, if if absent the superstar, which we, is probably unlikely to happen at this point, 
it, you could do worse than having Steph Curry running, you know, leading this team. Clay Thompson, you work him back. Draymond Green is limited in a new phase of his career, but certainly effective. Still one of the better defensive players in the league. And Andrew Wiggins is fine, right? If he's playing a four, like he's not worth the money, but he's fine. He's not a negative. He helps you defensively. Uh, James Wiseman's going to continue to get better. You hope that he takes a leap. That's a big if, but you hope. And then outside of that, you basically just need to round out your rotation. I think Jordan Poole could be the Leandro Barbosa of this team. I really do. That since the guy that they've been kind of looking for ever since Barbosa left, and you know, you think about Nick Young and Ian Clark and some of these other players, they haven't really had that. I think Jordan Poole could be that. I don't, I don't, I don't think he could be sixth man, like super sixth man, like Iguodala or even Sean Livingston, but he could be that microwave scorer off the bench, which, again, the Warriors have been looking for and needed for, for many years now. Um, you just basically need two more rotation players. How do you get those players? Well, you have a couple of draft picks potentially. It's funny. The Warriors can end up with zero picks in the lottery in, in this draft or two picks in this draft. Who knows? But um, you'll have one or two of these picks most likely. And, and you can do something with that. You could get, I think Jalen Suggs or Jalen Green can walk in right away and play a role for you. Specifically Jalen Suggs. That would be a home run, I think, for these Warriors. Uh, but maybe if not, you trade down in the draft, grab a rotation player, get a guy who you like, who maybe isn't sixth or seventh man or even eighth man coming off the bench for you. But you can kind of, you know, take time and groom and sort of just develop organically and, and whatever. But somehow, if you're the Warriors, you need to go out and get two more dudes who you trust in the playoffs. That, to me, is the route for the Warriors. Clay comes back, and, he's, and he gets healthy by playoff time. Wiseman, by the playoff time, takes a leap. And then you get two more guys where you failed on the guy like Brad Wanamaker this year. right? That really hurt the Warriors this season. You need to go out and nail those signings in a way that you didn't this last offseason. Then again, I don't really know Do who those names oh, are. Sorry. No, go ahead. Do you see a, do you see a possibility of James Wiseman not starting next year and they end up getting a veteran center to start the season next year like do you think do you think al horford could get bought out and the warriors could sign him or something like that to me he's like the perfect center for curve motion offense in my yeah. opinion i i love al horford uh as a fit for the warriors i actually had somebody in the league text me like a month or so ago saying that the warriors should just trade james wiseman straight up for al horford and i was like well that's never going to happen uh, and that's because they're committed to James Wiseman. So I can't really imagine a way that they should that that James Wiseman won't. The only way that James Wiseman isn't the starter on opening night, or if something happens with this meniscus situation, he's just not ready, right? If he misses all of training camp and he's still rehabbing, and they just need to manage his minutes or something, like that's really the only way. If it's related to the meniscus, otherwise, and look, I would I was I was arguing that they shouldn't start him for two years. You know, I, you look at what Bam Adebayo was doing in Miami his first three years in the league. He was coming off the bench for Hassan Whiteside, okay? It takes a while for centers to get it. And now Bam Adebayo is arguably one of the better, one, one of the best centers in the league. Well, not arguably, inarguably the best, one of the best centers in the league. Arguably one of the best 20 players in the league. Uh, but it takes a minute for big men. You know, you're even seeing that with DeAndre Ayton in Phoenix. He could have, you know, benefited from coming off the bench a little bit earlier in his career. But uh, the, at this point... The Warriors have kind of made their bed with Wiseman, and now they have to lay in it. He's he's going to be the starter uh, as long as he's healthy. But I do think that you could still you can kind of hedge, right? If Al Horford gets bought out, you can go get Al Horford. I think you need to go out and get another center. Kevon Looney's fine, but you need a third guy. Um, you need another center in this lineup. So if you go out and get another center who can make an impact, who maybe you can use to close games on nights where Wiseman's struggling, I don't see that. I don't see any problem with that. And if Horford gets bought out, I think he would be a, a, a great option. Yeah, I was really on your side over the summer. Like, like I'm really a big believer in, like, what you said. Like, he has all these, like, like he only played three college games, something like that. And then you pick him at number two. It's not that he's bad. Like you said, he's not bad. He just doesn't have experience. Yeah. So earlier what I was saying when I got cut off is, you know, he, he was kind of meh during the season, and then they – they put more pick and roll and he kind of thrived. But do you think with Clay back next season, they start going back towards that motion offense and he doesn't play as well again because he's more used to playing well in the pick and roll situation? I wish I had that answer. Um, I, I think that they will continue with an element of pick and roll that we had not previously seen under Steve Kerr, even when Clay comes back. Because again, when Clay comes back, two lower body injuries. Do you really want him running around the three-point arc and just you know buzzing around and, and moving that much coming off of two major lower body injuries? I would think not. 
especially early on. And if that's the case, if you're not doing that early on, and maybe Clay just becomes the best corner three-point shooter in the league, you know, like early in next season. Um, do you really want to change your offense midway through the year when Clay starts to get healthy? Um, I don't know. We've seen Steve Kerr change his offense in the middle of the year. We've also seen Steve Kerr say, hey, we're going to do a simpler offense. We're going to do more pick and roll. And then within a couple of weeks, it kind of goes back to what we're used to seeing with Steve Kerr. I think there's a base level of, you know, there's a fundamental Steve Kerr offense that it's hard for him to shake. That said, the results spoke for themselves. I think that's really what we lost here in losing James Wiseman with 19 games left to go in the year. We lost that ability to sort of beta, te- beta test this thing, right? You lost, if you're the Warriors, that proof of concept ability. And, and the most you got to test this pick-and-roll offense with Wiseman in it was really just like three games, two and a half games when you really think about it. Is that enough? Did that show the Warriors enough that they are confident in that offense going forward when Wiseman's healthy and you go into next year when Klay Thompson comes back? That is an open question. I have no idea. And the Warriors are going to review the tape. They're going to look at the numbers and all those things. All of that will show them that James Wiseman is better there. But what do they think the long-term ceiling of this team needs? And, and that, to me, is where they're going to end up, is how they're going to end up making the decision. I would argue, again, you pick this guy number two. He's never going to be a playmaker from the post. If you want to utilize his, his strengths, his unique strengths, as a pick-and-roll vertical threat and a pick-and-pop spacing threat, you need to run more pick-and-roll. And in regards to Steph and the rest of this roster, you should be running more pick-and-roll, like what we were talking about with Wiggins and, and, and Oubre if he sticks around all these other guys. Like, isolate Steph Curry, more pick-and-roll with Steph Curry, let James Wiseman pick-and-roll and pick-and-pop, and, and just you know get your elite talent in position to succeed. I think that's the way to do it. Like I said, it's an, I have no idea. We've seen start and stops from Steve Kerr before. I, I don't know. I don't know. Wiseman, even if he's not used as a, if he doesn't develop like an offensive game yet, because we all know he has like the potential to be this insane like Anthony Davis as player, but he doesn't need to develop any of that yet. I I would rather have the Warrior, like Warriors focus on his defense because if if you can have him be like an elite rim protector, which I think he can really be like soon, um, that would be great for them, and I think that would really help them in like their championship. Uh, like goals because he can he's switchable too so it would mm-hmm. be really amazing if he's already like an elite rim protector it would I, be like really I, nice I think what what you could see from what the Warriors are at least hoping for from Wiseman what I think we could realistically see from Wiseman because he is better I think he's got more to work with defensively as far as tools are concerned than DeAndre Ayton but we saw with Ayton who's in his third year now right who's in his third year now a leap between years one and two, where in year one, he was terrible defensively. Like, his on-off numbers were just like Wiseman's. And then in year two, those numbers crept up to about average, where he wasn't a huge negative on the floor, but still a whole lot of room to improve. And now in year three, you're starting to see him turn the corner a little bit and become uh, an impactful defender. And I think next year and the year after that, you're going to see Aiton continue to develop. And he's going to get to a point where I think Aiton is, if he... If, if you kind of chart this the way it's been going for him, he'll end up being an elite defensive player at the center position. With Wiseman, I think, like I said, he's got even more tools, where Aiton is going to be more of a rim protector than like a, like a Rudy Gobert type, where Wiseman can certainly be that, but he's got the tools to be switchable in a way that Gobert and Aiton aren't. And so I, and so I agree with you. I, I think his ultimate upside is, defen- is defensively for this team, and they're going to need a defensive anchor as Draymond Green continues to age into this next kind of twilight stage of his career. Uh, yeah, that's what they should absolutely be focusing on. That said, it takes a long time, right? Where offensively, he can be productive right away, and we've seen this right away. Uh, defensively, I think you could see some real returns, not even next year. Well, you'll start to see some stuff next year probably, hopefully, but years three and four for him, I think that's when you'll start to see some real returns as far as him being an impactful defensive player. Wes, am I crazy to think that the Warriors should close play-in games and maybe playoff games with Steph, Gary Payton II, Wiggins, <laughs> JTA, and Draymond? Maybe Gary Payton, uh, because I still don't know that you have enough offense on the floor. So I don't know that Gary Payton will be, should be a part of that. And I also... if they. 
I was told that they're going to sign him at some point today to that 10-day contract. We're still waiting the announcement uh, on that. But the expectation is that he'll be available tonight. But um, it's a 10-day contract. It's not a rest-of-season contract. So we don't even know if he would be you know, in the playoffs so or available for the playoffs. So I do think that Juan Descano-Anderson needs to be closing games. He needs, to be, he needs to have a real rotation role. And that, to me, has been one of the more mind-boggling things about this year. I understand that you're looking for you're the 23rd-ranked offense, and he's not, you know, 20-point night, career night notwithstanding, not really the, the kind of productive offensive player that a guy like Kelly Oubre or even Damian Lee is, and so you don't really have him in the rotation as much as those guys, but he needs to be part of this rotation. And whatever, whatever happens with this season, who cares? I think there's value in making the playoffs and, and closing games and figuring out if he could do that, and I think they should test that, right, in the playoffs. Who do you trust in the playoffs? Steve Kerr said the other night, one of the guys he trusts most on the team is Juan Descano Anderson. Okay, if you do, play him real rotation minutes. Get him in there. And, and I'm looking at <laughs> next year. Getting, like, next year, I think Juan Descano Anderson has been a, a bit of a revelation this year. I think that dude could play. I, I think he's a little underrated in some way. Like You just trust his basketball feel and his basketball IQ, and, and you do trust him on the court. And that three-point shot looks legit. He's making it at a high clip right now. Um, I see no reason why he couldn't be one of your best eight or nine players. You're one of your top eight or nine players in your rotation next year when you're a title team. I see no reason to think that he couldn't be. I would love to see him as part of the core rotation next year. They need to sign him to yeah, a real contract I, first, but yeah. <laughs> I, I think they weren't playing JTA literally just to suppress his value, just so people won't know about him. That's the only real reason I could think of because he's one of the Warriors' four or five best players on this roster this year, which is crazy to think about, but... <laughs> He's legit. He's legit. And I think Warriors fans were accustomed to seeing like proven guys play for their playoff teams, like Andre Godal and Sean Livingston come off the bench. But most NBA teams end up relying on a Juan Descano-Anderson type, even in the playoffs. Look at last year with the Lakers and the Heat, the two teams that won the finals. Who was, who was Alex Caruso, right? You end, up relying on, you end up relying on him for real minutes. You look at... Miami, they were asking Tyler Hero, a rookie, Duncan Robinson, to your point. Like, these guys, like, you need to find these gems. And I know that the Warriors front office has swung and missed on a lot of guys and even had guys, Boucher, Craig, all these guys, in their system who, who ended up being successful, relatively successful elsewhere. Well, you got a guy in Juan Descano Anderson who you've groomed over the period of now three years. I, I think he's ready. I really do. And, and like you said, he's been one of their best five guys this year. I don't think that that's an exaggeration or even inaccurate. I think it's, I think it's absolutely so. Um, yeah, he needs to be a part of it. I think, that, I think if you look at guys on this roster going into next year who could be part of the core rotation that, that are not starters, I'm talking about the bench. Kavon Looney, mm-hmm. he's under contract. Juan Descano Anderson and Jordan Poole. All right, cool. You've got the Minnesota pick potentially. You've got your own pick. Uh, you could have a, you'll have a mid-level exception to some extent. You'll have some optionality with that. If you add two more legit guys, and then you, even if you bring back Kent Bazemore and Damian Lee so that Steph Curry has his golf buddies next year, just don't play them that many minutes. You know, they, don't have, they could be end-of-bench guys. Uh-huh. Uh, break glass in case of emergency type guys. That's fine. I, I think you still need to add two more guys. But if you found Jordan Poole in a way and Juan Descano Anderson this year in another way, yeah, that's, that's a win for your bench. Absolutely. Yeah, and then going back to the Gary Payne thing, I just think he's such... Like, we saw in the Boston game with the stint he played, he's just such a good defender and such a smart cutter. Like, it fits the, like, Steph and Goons thing the Warriors yeah. fans wanted before the narr- like before the season. Like, a bunch of high-IQ, smart players that know how to play off Steph. I love Gary Payton the second. I have since he was at Oregon State, and I didn't really understand why it's taken him this long. I understand that he's got no three-point shot. I get it. Uh, but yeah, I would agree with you. I think that they, he's, he's a guy who, if he's your 15th man, he's not a guy that you're going to play every single night at first, but you could develop him. He can work with Ron Adams on that three-point shot because apparently Ron Adams is more than a defensive specialist, but he's also a three-point shot whisperer, you know, because he's the one that taught Juan Descano Anderson all this stuff, I guess. But um, let him, just let him develop. And maybe, look, you hesitate to, best case scenario, right, is like a Lou Dort type, right, who comes in, he's an awesome defender, or a Marcus Smart type, and they end up just sort of building a three-point shot over time. That's sort of best-case scenario. But even worst-case scenario, if he's just a guy who's on the, the end of your bench and you're in and you're playing Portland, and Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum are just going off, and you're like, screw this, let's just put CJ, uh, let's put Gary Payton the second in there, just to just to you know give him give him a hard time for four or five minutes in a, in a quarter. 
that's a good player to have. You want to have utility players on your bench for sure. You want to have specialists on that bench for sure. Just like Michael Mulder, if you need a three-point shot and you need to space the floor a little bit, we've seen instances, not recently, but earlier in the year, definitely, where Mulder gets in and the, the floor is spaced a little bit better and, and stuff like that. Now, I don't know that Mulder will be around next year, but you just need those kind of bit players to go to. And it kind of feels like the Warriors don't really have that this year, right? They, they're actually, they're, they do, yeah. they're relying on those players for core rotation minutes. And once you slide them back, further on the bench, and then you'll have him. I, I like Gary Payton the second. I think that they should keep him around. And by the way, the fact that they're even bothering to re-sign him to a second 10-day deal bodes well for him and what they think of him, right? Because they didn't have to do that, and they'd be saving money if they didn't do that. So, um, you know, that's definitely part of it. I think Mulder is for sure gone. Yeah. Because they're going to get... Baby. Yeah, Jessup's going to come here. He's six seven. I mean, we don't really know how good he can be, like, in the NBA, but he looks really solid in Australia, I mean, who knows how good that league is, but it looks pretty solid to me. So I think Mulder's for sure gone, which is a good thing. I think he's really small, super skinny. And yeah, I just, I don't think there's a, I think a lot of the players on the team this year are just on the team just because we suck. That's what I think. <laughs> it kind of feels like last year too. Um, Michael Mulder, yeah, I don't know that he's done enough to stick around. Um, he'll probably end up getting another NBA tryout somewhere else, maybe a job. Um, but if you're looking at the guards, it's Damian Lee, it's Kent Bazemore, it's Michael Mulder. Those are your free agents. Highly doubtful all three of them return. And then if you start sort of putting them in, in an order, then it would probably be something like Damian Lee and Kent Bazemore, 1A, 1B in whatever order, and then Michael Mulder a distant third, right? And um, I think there's obviously a better chance that those guys come back than Mulder does. And like you said, Jessup's going to come over. He could be your three-point specialist. Uh, my my feel and my understanding is that he will come over next year. That that's right now the plan, uh, and, and so and, and they've been really impressed with what he's done in Australia, and and they're going to want to see that. So yeah, I think Mulder ends up leaving, um, and and you know that's fine. No harm, no foul. You know the Warriors gave him an NBA chance, and he can end up sticking somewhere. But it, I probably won't be Golden State. That'll do it for us this afternoon. Remember to subscribe to new episodes of Locked On Warriors wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate, review, say nice things about the show. You can send your comments and questions to me on Twitter at WC Goldberg or email them to me at wgoldberg at bayarianewsgroup.com. If you haven't noticed, we've been doing more of these Locker Room Live episodes uh, more often, and, and there is really very much becoming kind of a primary way for, for me to do the show, and, and I'm really enjoying it. So make sure that you uh, download the Locker Room app, uh, sign up, follow me, at WC Goldberg so that you can be notified whenever I go live if you want to listen live or even uh, contribute and, and, and chat with me live on air and, and contribute to the podcast that way. Uh, so thanks to everybody who did that. Thanks to you for listening. Stay safe, and I'll see you here tomorrow for a recap of tonight's game in Philly.